2: Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder. La emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.
3: Live online, this is the locker room on John 99.7 FM with George Adu Jr. The European
4: football season is gradually grinding to a halt one or three finals officially draw the Ketsons, did not go down without a fight.
5: The interview afterwards I think with Jose Mourinho is going to be interesting. Encroachment decided by the Vaso so montiel Once again he's off the hook, he's got another chance here to win it all for Sevilla. And this time he does! They've done it again. Magnificent seven for Sevilla. Again coming from behind it on penalties, Roma's hearts are broken, Mourinho is beaten at last in a European final.
4: Sevilla lifted the Europa Trophy for a record extended seventh time as they beat Jose Mourinho's Roma on penalties after a draw 1-1 draw in Budapest. One perfect record had to fall with Jose Mourinho having previously won all five of his European Finals he had been in and he was left throwing his losers medals to a child in the crowd as Sevilla celebrated. We'll answer what's next for Jose Mourinho on the show. Italian, Serie A and La Liga culminate the season with relegation battles and tassels for European places still not completely ironed out. We have a preview ahead. Also coming up.
0: Racing on the streets of
2: Monte Carlo. Good reaction time for Fernando Alonso, but he didn't have the time to get ahead. Neither does Ocon. The top three are as they were. Alonso had a big snap as he came through Sandoval. The Dutch master has produced something special in the wet, in the dry. Max Verstappen wins the Monaco Grand Prix.
4: Red Bull's Max Verstappen survived the mid race downpour to win the Monaco Grand Prix. From Aston Martin's Fernando Alonso, the Dutchman now leads Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez in the Drivers' Championship by 39 points. We have the Spanish Grand Prix in full view. A full preview ahead. We'll be in the United States for updates from the ongoing NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. In Paris for French Open updates and in Argentina for the ongoing FIFA Under-20 World Cup. Time to talk about what the world is talking about and the world of sport. Hello from me, George Addo Jr. And welcome to The Locker Room.
5: Live on radio, live
4: online. This is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. so thanks for staying with us on the locker room on joy 99.7 fm hello from me george Addy jr and welcome to uh, a special preview to what the weekend has got in store in terms of the wonderful spot in action to come as always we are interactive via whatsapp line and always uh, across our social media channels you want to send us a message on any of the topics that you're interested in and of course we have to begin tonight and we begin from paris
6: He's done it
4: the biggest win of his life on one of the biggest stages in tennis is the last three years here this year he's qualified through three rounds and he's beaten the world number two. Yes, we're only into the first week of the ongoing French Open and we have already recorded huge casualties. We know second seed Daniel Medvedev was stunned by the qualifier Thea Wild in a big French Open first-round shock. The Russian battled windy conditions and a mouthful of clay and the Brazilians' outstanding forehand in a 7-6, 75-6, 7-6, 8-6, 4 loss. Medvedev had arrived at Roland Garroth in good form and in contention for the world number one ranking. Joining me is the BBC's tennis reporter, Katie Smith from Paris. Hello, Katie. That was a really huge blow for the competition generally. Losing the world number two so early in the competition. And you saw it all.
7: I know. I mean, I feel quite lucky that I was even there. I mean, it felt like history in the making. Um, Welcome as well to Paris. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous evening. The sun just starting to set. A golden glow over the Philippe Châtrier court where you find me. And yes, it was the second match on. He is the second seed, Daniel Medvedev, a former Grand Slam champion, of course. And he was up against a man who'd never played in the main draw here at Roland Garros and took the first set. And even then, we were saying, well, you know, it's a tiebreak. It was close. Medvedev, he's a little bit like Novak Djokovic sometimes. He likes to feel the crowd sort of heat, a little bit of spiciness. And then he comes back. And he did in the second. We had a second set tiebreak. But Zibbys just would not go away. And he was hitting big. He was mixing it up with drop shots. Then uh, Medvedev went ahead, took the third set. And then Zibbys built... Came back into it, six three, six four. Broke him twice in the uh, in the fourth set, and he just sort of seemed to really utilise the fact that he had this big stage, the crowd really getting into this. Absolutely, the, the match of the tournament so far, and he used that energy on the Philippe Chatrier court and came through Medvedev, who hasn't really been a fan of clay over his career so far.
4: Katie, stay with me. We can now hear from the 23-year-old who has been reflecting on his biggest career win. I mean, I've watched Daniel play for like my entire junior career for until today. And I've always dreamed about playing on Discord, playing these kind of players. I mean, in my best dreams, I've had of in them. So it's a dream come true. We saw all your talent today, but we know also that the last few years you had a couple of uh, injuries. What happened physically today? It was, you stayed strong until the end, or it was tough starting maybe in the middle of the third set? I mean, it was pretty tough. I started cramping in the second set, at the end of the second set. Um, I couldn't really serve the way I wanted to, but I could do my best, uh, just use my mental and and try to play my best. And it, it worked. It worked. I'm really happy with the way I played. Katie, we'll talk about Medvedev in a bit, but first tell us about Thiago, who was great in the junior ranks, but has struggled to triumph on huge platforms.
7: Yeah, and we see that across sports, don't we? You and I cover athletics a lot, and, and that's a real talking point. Some athletes dazzling as youngsters, and then when they hit the big time, it's a real struggle. He's only 23, in fact, so, you know, born in the year 2000. It's not like he's sort of passed it, but he is a former U.S. Open champion at junior level in 2018, and then he's really struggled. His, um, his ranking absolutely tumbling before the start of uh, 2022. He was up in the 400s. And you think, you know, that doesn't get you entry into Grand Slams. You're going to struggle to make it into any sort of ATP challenger events. And he's slowly built his way up. He does like the clay, does the uh, Brazilian, like a lot of South American players. And he's been playing on the types of, of events and winning the types of events where you don't get many ranking points, you don't get much money. But it's clearly built his confidence. And here on the biggest stage, he's now knocked out the second seed.
4: Yeah. So, Katie, why does Medvedev struggle on clay that much?
7: Well, he, he's he's absolutely massive. I mean, that's one thing we've got to say. He's the tallest world number one that's ever been. He's not world number one at the moment, but when he was, I thought that was a great stat. The tallest we've ever had. But that can be hard on clay where, where the ball is moving a little bit slower, where the rallies are longer, where you've got the like, people like Rafa Nadal, who, uh, you know, Tiago Zibachovic, Kind of models himself on. They're really trying to punch you where it hurts. And sometimes moving his body quicker is hard for mevidev That being said, though, the last um ATP Masters event coming into this was the Italian Open, where he won. And that was his first title on Clay. We'd never seen that happen before. Um and he came into this with quite a lot of optimism. He says, you know, before we were in the friend zone, me and Clay. Now now we're sort of we're moving on I I think he'll take that back after this
4: (laughs) well hopefully he's able to uh, work on it and we can see him play some some of the great tennis we know he can play on clay Uh, on on the sidelines the 22 Grand Slam champion Novak Djokovic is back in the political headlines of course after he wrote Kosovo is the heart of Serbia stop the violence on a camera lens It's in reference to recent tension in Kosovo which uh, declared independence from Serbia in 2008 and uh, I'm not too sure what you have made of all of this, Katie?
7: Yes, exactly. So this is all around this complex political situation essentially around Kosovo's independence which came back in 2008 and that's never been recognised by Serbia on the international stage. Tensions have sparked recently as well. There's been violence. And the French sports minister since he did that, Djokovic, has come out to say, I don't think that's appropriate that shouldn't happen again this shouldn't be happening at this tournament Um, and has differentiated it as well from the Ukraine Russia war situation that of course is ongoing and has engulfed tennis as well within it in in ways Uh, the International Tennis Federation though have come back and says well no rules have been broken Djokovic can say what he's like what he wants Um, that is consistent across the Grand Slams but we had another uncomfortable exchange as well today with the world number two Arena Sabalenka the Belarusian of course they're uh, russian sympathizers that the belarus um cu- the country of belarus and and she was confronted by a reporter to take a more explicit stance against the war in ukraine so we are not short of political tensions here in paris
4: and katie before you go just a word on world number one carlos alcaraz
7: no, he was up against the world number 114. I was commentating on this, Tara Daniel of Japan, and he took a set off Alcaraz early on, took the second, and we thought, well, perhaps this is applying a little bit of pressure to the world number one, still only 20 years old. But then, as he does, he just said, "Okay, fine, here you go <laughs> through the rest of the match." So he certainly wants to watch here in in uh, in the capital over the next couple of weeks.
4: Katie Smith is the BBC tennis reporter and joined me with some updates and some analysis truly from the french open which is ongoing and you want to keep a close eye on that great great matchups to come this weekend and we'll keep you across all of that when michelle joins us later in the show, Formula One next.
0: Racing on the streets of Monte Carlo. Good reaction time for Fernando
2: Alonso, but he didn't have the time to get ahead. Neither does Ocon. The top three are as they were. Alonso had a big snap as he came through Sandeville. The Dutch master has produced something special in the wet, in the dry. Max Verstappen wins the Monaco Grand Prix.
4: After the weekend in Monaco, the sport arrives in Barcelona, a stage that usually took place before the event in the Principality. Compared to last year's edition, the hierarchies on the track have changed with Ferrari dominating, qualifying and the race with Charles Leclerc 12 months ago before seeing the F1 75 slowdown on the street leading to the third sector. So let's get a preview to the action to come. And we are joined by our Formula 1 expert, Raymond Yamado. Thank you very much, Raymond, for your time. Sergio Perez was shocking in Monaco. His fluffiness in Monaco has left him 39 points behind teammate Max Verstappen. But Perez has the quick chance to bounce back with a Spanish Grand Prix. What can you identify as keys for him to seal a podium finish?
6: I think that for Sergio Perez, admittedly, he was right when he said everything that had to go wrong for him did go wrong for him in Monaco. I think that it was... Um, that crash that led to him starting at the back of the grid Uh, that crash in qualifying clearly uh, made things a bit difficult for him and you look at the driver Sergio Perez he's been able to win two races already this season he won in Saudi Arabia he won in Azerbaijan it means that he's a driver who's credible enough he's made a couple of second place finishes he's been on the podium uh, more often than he hasn't been this season and so uh, it's quite clear that um, looking at how unforgiving that Monaco circuit is that Monte Carlo circuit is unforgiving and how knowing very well that you do not leave any room for error. I think that the street expert, and when we talk about street expert, Sergio Perez is considered as uh, that driver who is very experienced and very formidable on the street. I think that he flapped his lines and rightly so he got punished duly. 39 points behind Max Verstappen he still believes that he can win the championship he still believes that he has the hunger he has the drive, he has the passion and once he's able to uh, put himself in the right conditions for races definitely he can make an impact and so i think he'll be quick to put what happened in monaco behind him to get back onto the circuit and find a way to get back to winning ways I, I do think that with the kind of form that he's shown in the course of the season you won't put anything away from him if he doesn't self distract definitely it's going to be a one-two for red bull he's definitely going to be that man who can challenge max Verstappen for the championship so uh, in terms of uh, the upgrades that Red Bull will be bringing. Uh, They know they have a very strong package going into this weekend's race and their package seems strong that on every circuit they're able to perform. And so I think that it's just um, going back to basics and doing the right things for Sergio Perez uh, just to make sure that he doesn't repeat the mistakes that he made in Monaco. Once he's able to do that, I think that he's definitely good for the podium.
4: Meanwhile, Ray, Fernando Alonso's season continues to be remarkable. Second in Monaco, and with how the season has stand out so far he'll be eyeing taking top spot in spain what deficiencies does verstappen have for alonso to make the most out of
6: for fernando alonso this is a race he would relish driving in front of his home fans uh, going back home to drive in spain i think that you look at the form that he's been in the season uh, finishing on the podium five times and making sure that he's not finished below fourth i think that he'll be excited about this race he himself uh knows very well that the last time he won a formula One race was 13 years ago and that would go as far back as 12 may 2013 and so um you look at uh, what's at stake for him he has the chance to finally uh, at least finish on the podium as the first driver but it'll be very difficult and he himself has admitted that It's very difficult driving past the likes of Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. He knows that that Red Bull car is fast. That Red Bull car is quick. And if there's any driver to beat on the circuit, definitely going into this weekend's race, it would be Max Verstappen. He knows that uh, it would be a tall order for him. But definitely with the fans behind him, he has also spoken about the fact that the fans would give him special energy going into this race, especially knowing very well the home crowd is behind him. So I think it's it's, it's going to be very, very uh, difficult for him to win. But... He looks very sharp, he looks very hungry, and he looks very committed to the course. He looks very disciplined on the circuit and seems to be doing the simple things. I think that realistically, if he's not able to finish as the first driver, you definitely know that he's going to put in a fight. We put in a fight for victory but if he doesn't win you can always expect uh, the man fernando alonso to finish on the podium with the kind of form that he is in i um, going into this weekend's race we know mercedes having really fully tested their upgrades uh, we know ferrari have also uh, decided to go into this particular race with a different side port so uh, it's going to be a battle between alonso and the chasing pack. We are talking about Mercedes. We are talking about Ferrari. They are talking about a win for him. Could be a bit difficult, or we could be asking for too much from Alonso. But I think that he's going to make an impact in this race, and he could definitely finish on the podium come this weekend.
4: On to Mercedes now. Who last weekend brought some upgrades to Monaco, but that circuit is unlike many in Formula One. So maybe they could not get a real-time picture of the car's potential. But did you see any indicators Mercedes fans can be hopeful of?
6: I think that for Team Mercedes, uh, moving away from the zero port uh, design that they came up with, that hasn't really lived up to expectation, was one big change we saw in Monaco. I think that that zero side port flattered to DC for most part of the season. It so was, it was introduced, and so I think that uh, we've seen uh, quite a very different side port. Uh, we've seen Mercedes revert to uh, the normal look for side ports as far as their car is concerned. And they did come to Monaco with a major package, but as Toto Toto Wolf rightly said, um, they didn't have any nasty surprises. Uh, they didn't have any uh, negativity as far as the car's response to uh, the upgrade was concerned. And that was good news for them because they could pick positives from that race. We saw Lewis Hamilton and Max uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell finish fourth and fifth. Uh, I think for both drivers, they believed the car felt good. Uh, but Monaco was not the best place to test your package in terms of what kind of upgrade you are bringing to that race. And so if we are to see any real dominance or any real improvement from Mercedes, then it will be the Spanish Grand Prix where uh, we will see them have the chance to overtake, we'll see them on the long straights and the curves and see how best uh, this car can perform. I think that uh, it's been a major a major improvement uh, in terms of that new design for the sidepod and also uh, the front suspension that has also been given a facelift we've seen a totally different flow from a series, um, as far as that major facelift or major upgrade is concerned and so I think that it's early days yet for us to judge the performance of that car based on the initial upgrades that have been done and uh, Toto Roof again rightly said that um, it was too early to judge And so we'd see how Mercedes Fared this weekend in Spain And you talk about Spain being a very happy hunting ground For them, for Lewis Hamilton especially He won there in 2017, 2018 2019, 2020, 2021 He lost out to Max Verstappen in 2022 uh, That was when Mercedes Started having their own problems But I think there's been a happy hunting ground for Mercedes And uh, the circuit returning to a Traditional a traditional format also uh, Could play a role in this particular race. So we'd see how things pan out for both drivers but um, things are looking quite improved at Team Mercedes, and they can only hope that uh, their new design and their new upgrades would lead them in the right direction going into Spain this weekend.
4: And Ray, earlier this year, there was announcement the track was going to be reverted to its uh, traditional older layout without the fiddly final chicane uh, before the main straight. How does this return impact
6: Sunday's race? Circuit de Barcelona has seen a major facelift going into this weekend's race and we've always known Circuit de Barcelona to be an exciting circuit. It's an all-rounder in terms of Formula One circuits. It has long streets and a variety of curves. Uh, This time around we are going into a weekend where we are going to see the absence of that slow chicane at the end of the Circuit de Barcelona and we are seeing the return of the spectacular old corners. Uh, that were removed in 2007 from the layout. Uh, it has returned, uh, and this time around we've seen a new protection and new deceleration system, including the tech pro barriers, which should allow uh, for the reinstatement of the, uh, the two new curves. Uh, I think that uh, those were curves uh, that we used to see uh, in the chicken Tens 14 and 15. It's coming back and we should expect that uh, driver experience should be exceptional because of Darwin's statement and also uh, we are going to see the circuit actually get a bit shorter by some 18 meters uh, the circuit would be some 4657 kilometers uh, some 18 meters shorter than the previous track and then we are going to see the widening of the runoff area in turn one including um, the 70 more meters of gravel Plus that five percent slope uh, and the new fence protecting Turn One and Turn Two to improve driver safety. So, I think that a lot of changes have been made to improve uh, the race itself uh, to give us a better feel of the race and also uh, with the driver safety as one of the key concerns. And so, I think the circuit to Barcelona should be ready. Uh, the more traditional circuit really favors Max Verstappen, uh, and he's not one who really favors street street circuits. He's one who uh, really enjoys driving on traditional circuits. So uh, we'll see how things pan out. But I think that the circuit has been improved and it should help us have a a better spectacle in Spain this weekend.
4: Raymond Yamado is our Formula One expert and joined us with some analysis ahead of the Spanish Grand Prix. Basketball next and the 2023 NBA Finals has begun. Uh, with a breathtaking game one between the denver nuggets and the miami heat we'll keep you across the action enjoy sports all through the weekend and indeed uh, in the coming week but let's begin to talk about what happened last night great action
0: these fans this city have waited 47 years to host an nba finals game tonight the wait is over ball arena already electric as the Nuggets will play their first-ever NBA Finals game and do so against the Miami Heat. As Kamal Murray... it in. Vincent fires. Vincent connects. The Heat knocking down some shots. The first Finals game in franchise history is a rousing success. Denver's 9-0 at home in the playoffs. They take Game 1.
4: So then joining me now is our NBA expert, Kofi Owusu, who has been keeping a close eye on all that happened. We had in that clip the fireworks. Thanks, Kofi, for your time on the show. As always, how did game one go for you? The Denver Nuggets played an amazing team game and
3: came out victorious in game one of the NBA Finals. They played like they've been playing this entire playoffs. They had a very well-rounded, balanced attack. All their starters were scored more than 10 points. Jokic was dominant with another triple-double, his ninth triple-double in the NBA playoffs, which is an NBA record, I believe. Jamal Murray was spectacular, was unguardable in the first three quarters, and really put pressure on the Miami Heat. Bruce Brown, Michael Porter all had 14, 15 points, and KCP was great as well. And, And they played great defense. The Nuggets have not been touted for their defense, but they're able to hold the Miami Heat under 100 points. And most of the time in the modern NBA, when you hold your opponent under 100 points, you have a very, very good chance to win. And they're able to do that today. What really stood out to me in Game 1 was the the, the confidence with which the Denver Nuggets played. One of the the factors that always plays in NBA Finals is experience. Miami Heat has more experienced players who have been at this stage before. Last year, for instance, the Boston Celtics came up short to the um, Golden State Warriors, in large part due to experience, you could see the stage was too bright for the young the young stars of of Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, were a bit starstruck at the big stage. So I, I was quite impressed by the Denver Nuggets' um, composure on the big stage. They 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 looked like they belong there. They looked like you know they they they've been ready for this opportunity the whole season, and I was really impressed how they came out in Game One. And Game Two is sure to be an exciting encounter.
4: The Miami Heat have been underdogs in almost every game they have played. Being the eighth seed, it's unprecedented that they have made it this far. What would they need to do in order to complete this fairy tale run?
3: It's been an incredible run for the Miami Heat in the 2023 playoffs. They didn't have the best regular season, hence the eighth seed. They had a play-in against the Atlanta Hawks, which they lost, and they almost lost against the Chicago Bulls in the second plane. So they have really had to take the hard routes into the playoffs it's unprecedented only a few teams in nba history have ever been the eighth seed and managed to make it to the finals miami is a is a is a peculiar um case study though because last season they're the number one seed and they made it to game seven against celtics in the eastern conference finals um for the last four years i believe they've been in the conference finals three times. They made it to the finals 2020 with the same coach, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero. So they've been here before with the same group of players and coach. So they have the experience, no doubt. But it's just it's still it's still amazing how they're able to be the eighth seed and overcome all these playoff series, not having home court advantage in any series up to this point, and still finding ways to 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 be so good. Jimmy Butler, their star player, is one of the main reasons why. In the regular season, he's a good player, he's a he's a star player, but he's not nearly as great as just in the playoffs. In the playoffs, he he really, you know, puts on his his superhero cape and becomes. Uh, top 5 player or at least top 10 player in the NBA no doubt in the playoffs and this playoffs is is spectacular his role players many of which were undrafted um, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin and the likes were not even drafted in the NBA draft they had to take the, the the long routes to the NBA, but in these playoffs, they've they've been spectacular. They've been playing better than many players who are drafted ahead of them or drafted, you know, altogether in the NBA. So it's, it's it's been quite the fairy tale journey, like you said, for the Miami Heat. Um, for them to complete this is going to be a tall task, no doubt. But they're going to have to play with the same resilience that they've showed in the first three series. They have to shock the world like they've already shocked the world. And I believe um, with Jimmy Butler and Spoo as their coach, they do have the ingredients if things fall their way to cause the upset again and and,
4: and make it. Kofi, the Nuggets, on the other hand, have been a dominant force all season. Uh, They have Jokic, who many pandits say is the best player in the league. What will they have to do to complete a task?
3: The Denver Nuggets were the number one seed in the Western Conference this year. They've been a very good team, or a great team, I would say, for the entire season. But for some odd reason, the national media or the international media has not really given them their flowers or their due respect this season. Their star player, who is a two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, although he's a great player and he's shown it all through the playoffs, he's not so flashy. He's not like Steph Curry or LeBron James or Kevin Durant. So that might also be a factor with them not getting, you know, the, the the highlights or the attention of 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 of, of media stations and, and 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 I think that has Cause the casual NBA fan or the casual basketball fan to completely overlook them. Even some so-called experts have not really touted the Denver Nuggets so much, though they're the number one seed. But all through the playoffs, they have shown their dominance. In the first series, they won in five games against the Minnesota Timberwolves. In the second round, against the Phoenix Suns, against Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, they beat them in six games, and they're they're quite easily the the better team. Though most most sports books ha- had. Had the phoenix Suns winning that series they won that series quite handily and of course in the conference finals they, they they swept the lakers lebron james and anthony davis led lakers they swept them in four games that was a huge surprise to most people and really showed that this team means business and they really have their eyes sets on the nba championship this is the first season the first time they've qualified for the finals in, in their in their franchise's history and I believe they have what it takes for sure. They've shown it against the Lakers like I just mentioned to be able to beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis in four straight games. It shows you that they have the the the, the, the players and the team to make it happen. They have Jamal Murray as well who's another underrated player. He's never been to an all-star game but he's certainly an all-star caliber player and all through these playoffs he's been incredible. And I believe the two-man game between Jokic and Murray with the good role players around them is they have all the pieces they need to win their first ever championship.
4: We know the prowess of the before mentioned Jokic and Jamal Murray. What have you also seen about the exploits of Jimmy Butler? However, who are the X factors and the role players who will be critical to either team's successes? Well, of course, in the
3: NBA Finals, you need your superstar players to to play like superstars to give you a chance to win. But most of the time in the finals, the star players show up. Um, the X factor, like you mentioned, is going to be a role player or a player who's not highly touted, who really shows up and gives his team the edge. And both teams, especially the Miami Heats, have had role players stepping up all through the playoffs, and that's the reason why they've reached this far. For the Miami Heats, I would tout Caleb Martin in the Eastern Conference finals. He almost won the the, the, the MVP for the Eastern Conference, just losing out to Jimmy Butler, 5-4 in a vote. So... I guess he's been a star in his own right in these playoffs, but he was undrafted. Um, He's never been an all-star. He's not well-known in the media but he's, he's a very critical piece for the Miami Heat's success. And I believe he's going to have to do the same and play at the same level he did in the Eastern Conference Finals to really give the Miami Heat a chance to win this championship. Um, for the Denver Nuggets, I will go with Bruce Brown. He's been a revelation for them this season. He came in last season from the Brooklyn Nets. He's a very good player. He's a, he's a Swiss Army knife player. That means he does so many things. He plays defense. He fights for loose balls. He scores points. He, he does everything on the court. And I believe if he plays the way he's been playing this playoffs, he will really be an X-factor for the Denver Nuggets. He's difficult to guard. He He's very good at penetrating into the paints and, and scoring floaters and, and making passes to his teammates. So I think when he's on his A-game as a role player, it really puts a lot of pressure on the opposition. So I think Caleb Martin for the Miami Heat and Bruce Brown for the Denver Nuggets are the
4: X-factors in this series. Kofi Uzi is an NBA expert and joined us with some analysis on that. Football next, and we start at Chelsea because they have appointed former Tottenham and Paris Saint-Germain boss Mauricio Pochettino as new manager. And you have read on the BBC website and, of course, my joy online. De Gentine begins his new role on the 1st of July, 2023 on a two-year contract with an option of a fair...
1: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?
4: the year interim boss frank lampard took chelsea to 12th in the premier league that's the lowest finish for more than 25 years so can posh do the job under the circumstances we're joined now by the former chelsea midfielder scott minto and he will be here with some analysis thank you very much scott for your time many Spurs fans are unhappy with this move but how has that gone down with the chelsea fans
5: good question. Uh, in terms of how how I think it's gone down uh, and it should go down is I, I think they should be very happy The Chelsea fans with this. What Chelsea fans have, have realised over the last 12 months is this is a completely different ownership to, to the model of Roman Abramovich where a lot of money has been spent. Okay, that's the same thing here. But actually he stays in the background and if you fall outside the top four you're gone as a manager. Now the new owners want to be much more hands-on. We've seen that both on and off the pitch really with how they deal Uh, certainly with recruitment, but also with the type of manager they wanted, the Graham Potter. That didn't work. So I just think that the likes of Nagelsmann and Luis Enrique were more Abramovich-type managers. So Mauricio Pochettino, I think, is able to manage up to sort of be inclusive as to what the the owners are looking for. But he's also, which is much more important, able to get results on the pitch. And I think if you look at what Chelsea have struggled on so far, first of all, they've got a far bloated squad. There's way too many people. Um, so they're going to have to trim that big time. They need a striker, and I believe they need a, a goalkeeper. I'm hearing they want a centre midfielder as well. I'll be honest with you, Nick, I don't know how many centre midfielders they want, but if that's the case, then the be who they go for, but striker, goalkeeper, and trim the squad. And with the likes of Pochettino, his style as well, going into pre-season, that, that high-pressing, high-intensity, I, I, I honestly don't think Chelsea would be a million miles away, not necessarily winning the title, but they're going back to top four again.
4: Yeah, Chelsea with a bloated squad and um, definitely low in confidence after enduring the poor finish in the English Premier League. What do you expect Pochettino to deal with first at the club?
5: Well, I actually feel he should have gone in a few weeks ago. And, and even if he had an 0-4 record, well, at least he would have learned of the, the characters and the professionals on a day-to-day basis as to who are the good pros, who maybe are not so good, p- good pros, who surprised him in a good way, and maybe who surprised him in a not-so-good way. But... One thing you need to do is trim that squad. How can you have like almost an 11v11 11 11 in training and then an, another 11 sitting by the side just watching it? It can't be done. So trim the squad, get a striker in. They've gotten cuckoo coming in anyway, but they need another striker on top of that. And I think a goal, I don't think they're a million miles away.
4: squads uh, we know how much Chelsea have spent. Record amount over the last year in terms of transfer of players. Given the spend, it's probably you not know, likely to have money to spend again. Or would he have to make do with a Karen squad?
5: Well I I think, you know, where they've been clever the owners is they've put the players on seven and eight year contracts. So, you know, fsp is almost halved in that sense in terms of the worry of it because, you know, it's split over eight years rather than the typical four year contract. So I, I don't think spending is necessarily an issue right now, but they they will have to be wary of the FST, uh, of that there's no doubt.
4: I don't know what you make of this squad. just a final answer from you, uh, some players on the seven-year contract, Graham Potter had five years, you know. Pochettino has two years. Are the new owners simply learning?
5: And maybe the owners have just been burnt a little bit, what they did with Graham Potter. You know, they gave him a five-year contract and he didn't even last one year. So maybe they're they're thinking that. But I think Pochettino's quite used to, and, and the modern-day manager's quite used to short-term contracts nowadays. The bottom line is if you do well, you get another contract. If you don't, then you go. Um, I don't necessarily think he needs the money, but it does it does show a big shift into what the owners were saying this time last year about they're always looking to the long term. How do you look for the long term if you only got a two year contract when you're giving players, you know, six and seven and eight year contract? I certainly wouldn't have expected one for that long, but I would have I would have thought it'd be a, a three to four. So Let's see. Let's see
4: what happens. But I think he will do a really good job at Chelsea. I really do. Scott Minto is a former Chelsea midfielder and joined us with some analysis there. And we look forward to the FA Cup to come in Wembley. It's Manchester United up against Manchester City. And remember the Manchester City are hoping that this will be the second of the trophies. They are hoping to win and looking out to... Uh, cancelling out Manchester United's treble done somewhere, you know, in the 90s. And, of course, they have an opportunity to do that. We'll see what happens on Saturday when both sides get to play at Wembley. Before the action to come at Wembley uh, and talk about all of that, Razak Muzbao has been keeping an eye on the key transfer activities. Know that we are in the season and he has got a quite a, he's got quite a number of players to
2: mention and clubs who are beginning to make moves. Muzbao. George, yeah, well, with the season now over, a number of Guinean players, um, they are looking to make moves away from their current clubs. And while some have achieved this dream, uh, rumours are speculating about the future of a few other players. But in terms of those who have achieved this dream is German uh, Ghana international Patrick Pfeiffer. Of course, uh, he has now officially joined Bundesliga outfit Augsburg after leaving Damstad as a free agent the central defender signed a four-year deal, we understand, with the club, and it will see him stay with the club until the end of June 2027. Now, Pfeiffer was instrumental in Darmstadt gaining promotion to the German top flight at the end of the 2022-23 Bundesliga season. The 23-year-old, he did score four goals and provided one assist in 24 appearances in the league as his side secured automatic promotion there. Well, George, another player who... Uh, We are keeping close tabs on his Mohamed Kudus because we know that he has two years left on his contract at the YAS but has reportedly rejected a contract extension and even requested that he should be put on a transfer list this summer. In fact, his agent uh, has also spoken in this regard indicating that the player is ready to try something new. And uh, we also understand that Ayaz are interested in letting the player go for something in the region of €40 million. So, um, their interest from Liverpool, from Dortmund, even from Arsenal, but we are not very sure where he will end up. But interestingly, uh, Liverpool legend John Barnes, he was in Ghana recently and he's been offering some advice to... Mohamed Kudu saying that the Ghanaian playmaker should consider staying at Ayaz for at least one more season and uh, he emphasizes that for young players like him it's important that they uh, stay at their clubs to improve upon their skill, improve upon their game and be in a better position to impact when they make moves to some of the bigger uh, big big clubs. So we wait to see what happens there. Now another player interestingly um, uh, that some media outlets in Italy are reporting uh, about is Kamaldeen Suleiman. Yes, I'm thinking Kamaldeen Suleiman, who who cost the club a record fee of 25 million pounds. We understand that Juventus are interested, interested in the player. He, he does appear that he's now become a transfer target for Juventus and uh, Italian outlets. Uh, um, La Gazeta are the ones reporting this that Juventus are keeping taps on Kamal Suleiman, and of course we know Juventus themselves will not be playing in uh, the champ- in any European football they're not playing the Champions League due to the point of action in which they suffered so not sure if this is a concrete interest such that they want to go further to open talks with Southampton not too sure but Kamal Suleiman himself spoke at the end of the season and he said he's open to whatever will come his way whether he will move away from Southampton or he will, you know, get a transfer elsewhere. He said he's open to whichever situation he finds himself in there. Another Ghanaian player who has also attracted some interest is Joseph Pinto. And of course, Joseph Pinto has performed creditably well in the Belgian Pro League there. And of course, this season he has scored 14 goals and uh, also contributed 14 assists uh, for his club, Zhenk. And we understand that it is certain that at the end of their season because they have the championship playoffs uh, coming up pretty shortly so at the end of their season it does appear that joseph pinto is most certain to move away from Jenk. so we wait to see the english outfit uh, outlet the telegraph uh, they are reporting that clubs like brentford fulham and brighton are all monitoring the player and appear to be interested in his services so these are just rumors and we'll keep close taps on that and to see if there will be any substance to them. Also, Daniel Amati is another player. We understand Sevilla are monitoring and also AC Milan are keeping uh, close taps on him. We know he's not been a regular for Leicester City who have been relegated now and we know it's a certain that he's going to move away from Leicester City. Another player is Mohamed Salisu who, um, from what we are picking, is certain to leave Southampton at the end of uh, Southampton. And, uh, but not too sure uh, where he's going to end up. But further reports are also indicating that he's likely to stay in the English Premier League. He's likely to stay in the English Premier League. There's some interest from some middle place clubs who are reportedly interested in Mohamed Salisu. So no club has been mentioned yet. However, we understand there's some interest in Mohamed Salisu by clubs in the English Premier League.
4: Was about there. Now let's head to Spain and the 2023 La Liga season climaxes with uh, quite a few to sort out at the bottom and of course at the top with respect to European battles. So let's get in on what to expect and we're joined by our La Liga expert and official reporter for Real Batiste, David Withworth. Thank you Dave for your time. As always, let's begin with the permutations. Who stays in La Liga?
9: Well, it's going to be a frantic last-day finale for five teams, including Getafe, Valladolid, Almeria, Celta Vigo. All those teams will be battling to stay up. Probably the most intriguing game will be Real Valladolid against Getafe. The team, Valladolid, currently sitting in the last place of the relegation zone against the Getafe team that have won their last two matches away at Real Betis home to Osasuna, a last-minute winner by Jaime Mata, ensuring that they've almost done enough to stay in La Liga, but they're still not safe. And certainly with a point would be enough. And even if they win, even if they lose, uh, other results would have to go against them to be relegated. The big surprise could be Celta de Vigo, who were just a couple of months ago in 10th and 11th position, relatively safe treading water similar to Espanol they've been dicing with danger in the last month they've slept their way down the table and currently find themselves just a point below uh, above the relegation zone they've got to play against Barcelona the final game of season that's a double-edged sword recently Barcelona have have simply given up (laughs) in in recent weeks they're currently on the beach Uh, But with the quality of a Barcelona team, if they decide to turn up the last game of the season, it will be very difficult for Celta to get even a point. So if results go against them, they could be playing in the Segunda Liga next season. So it's going to be a really, really interesting final day scenario for many teams.
4: Espanyol appear to be going down to the Segunda next season. How disappointing is this?
9: One team that will be dropping to the Segunda Liga next season is Espanol, uh, a furniture of La Liga for many, many years. They couldn't get the win against Valencia in the Mestaya. They got a creditable 2 2 draw, but that result, coupled with other results in this latest matchday fixtures, condemned them to relegation and, yeah, the ignominy of playing in a an inferior league that they're used to. I think the result against Barcelona, the, the Derby defeat by four goals to two the previous week, was the one that sent them down. They've had an inc- inconsistent season. They've kind of sleptwalked their way to relegation. Only a month ago, they were in 12th or 13th spot because La Liga is so bunched up. If you're not on it and you lose three or four matches, you can quite quickly find yourself in the wrong end of the table and it's very difficult to get out of. And that's the case for Espanyol, who will be playing in the Segunda Liga next season.
4: Dave, we have been following Valencia for a while. Many are hoping to stay in the Liga. What are your chances though um, with a lot to settle on the final day?
9: Another team who are not completely safe are Valencia. But again, similar to Getafe, they're in a, let's say, good position. to to stay up after recent wins against Real Madrid, Celta de Vigo and a draw against Espanyol really has turned the the tide for them for a team that personally I thought were very much looking like candidates to to be relegated. It still could happen but the recent form and yeah, the bad form of other teams suggest that they have got um, a a good chance of, of staying up and um yeah, staving against what would be an absolute disaster in going down. They will play the final game against Real Betis away in Seville here. And a Betis team that have recently qualified for the Europa League. They got a very good win against Girona by uh, two goals to one. Two goals from Borja Iglesias, the top scorer of Real Betis, taking his tally to 14 goals for the season, which means that Betis have finished in sixth place. A very creditable position considering that Betis have had to fight against Um, many red cards they're the most red carded team in European football with uh, 12 in La Liga alone and also the fact that their main talisman Nabil Fakir has been out since March which means that Manuel Pellegrini the Real Betis manager has done an excellent job to get European football once again for Real Betis the third season in a row the first time ever that the club have done that so it shows that the club have the stability that it's been yearning for for practically all its life so as Betis are looking upwards once again, Valencia are hoping to be in the same level as their opponents this Sunday in La Liga for next season.
4: So Dave, also on the final date, there will be confirmation for European Conference League sports. Can you tell us about the teams who are in contention?
9: Well, we've discussed about the teams that are dicing with danger at the end of the table, but let's talk about the teams that are looking for a Europe conference position for next season. Uh, several teams that are in the hunt for this including the likes of uh, Osasuna Athletic Club Bilbao Rayo Vallecano Girona and the quirk of the Football League fixtures means that we've got a last day shootout between Osasuna and Girona with potentially the winner getting a seventh place and a Europa conference place for next season which would be a huge achievement for two teams that are not used to European football Osasuna haven't played for many years Girona have never played in European football, so this is a big, big deal. And uh, the likes of Raya Vallecano are still in the race, Athletic Club Bilbao, but they need to go to the uh, Santiago Bernabeu last game of the season against a Real Madrid team that, yeah, practically similar to Barcelona on the beach, but they will want to go out on a high uh, at the end of the season, saying goodbye to, well, what has been a transformed Santiago Bernabeu for the last two seasons. Next season the stadium will be complete, the roof will be officially on, all the fascia, it looks an incredible stadium which they've been building and they will certainly want to go out on a high for the uh, for the final game. So yeah, a lot of teams uh, are looking for this uh, seventh spot and uh, again similar to the uh, to the relegation battle, the battle for the Europa Conference place is going to be hotly contested.
4: And how impressive have Real Sociedad been all season and, of course, how deserving are they of of that Champions League place, the Champions League spot they sorted out last weekend?
9: One piece of housekeeping that is already sorted ahead of this last final day of the season is Real Sociedad, who have got officially their Champions League place. They were defeated against Athletic uh, Atletico Madrid in the last game by two goals to one, but uh, uh, the results uh, in other matches meant that it was enough for, the, for them to get a, uh, a Champions League place and a creditable achievement for the San Sebastian outfit. I think of all the candidates going for the Champions League, the likes of Real Betis and Villarreal, Real Sociedad have been the most consistent uh, they've got some impressive performances, impressive wins uh, against the likes of Real Madrid at home, uh, beating uh, Barcelona at the camp now by uh, two goals to one. So I think that they've been the most consistent. They've got the most quality that I've seen from, uh, from uh, the, the teams at the top end of the table this season, battling for that Champions League place. And full credit to the management staff there.
4: Thanks Dave for your time. David Whitworth is a Spanish football expert and joined us with some analysis there. Like the La Liga, Serie A will climax this weekend too. And we know two more Italian sides in Fiorentina and Internazionale, await their respective European Cup finals. Fiorentina will play in the Europa Conference League finals to so take place on Wednesday. And of course, Internazionale will take in Manchester City in the final of the UEFA Champions League in Istanbul. Yeah, we know Jose Mourinho failed to snatch the Europa League, obviously. There are still European places and relegation slots, nevertheless, to fill out there in Syria. So let's get our expert, Sicho, a stream on this. Thank you very much, Sicho, for your time. Uh, Look, it appears the disappointment of not winning the Europa League finals was too heavy to bear for Jose Mourinho. He's been ranting, but was Anthony Taylor's performance that bad?
8: Yeah, John, I think Jose Mourinho took it too far, way too far. And I think it has to be said that it wasn't right. They actually went into the tunnels where the bases were parked and had to say all of those words to Anthony Taylor. That was quite clearly unnecessary. I think Jose was just trying to take attention away from the failings of his team and blame it on the referee. But the two things are true here. I think it has been a character of Jose Mourinho's side or Jose Mourinho throughout this season. He's actually going to miss the last game of Serie A. He's not going to be in the dugout for the game against Spurs for Roma because he's been booked by referees in Serie A. Because it's not plenty to say about referees, almost in every game he's had to lament, he's had to mourn, he's had to say plenty of things. And he did the same in the Europa League final. But it also has to be said that Tony Taylor didn't necessarily man- manage the game well. He allowed too many things to fly past and almost get the game into chaos at some point. But the point then is, when it came to the big calls, the crucial calls that could have defined the game, he was absolutely spot on. And the first one was the penalty he actually gave to Sevilla. From the tackle from ibanez on ocampus when va asked him to go and have a look at it i thought, I thought he made the right call because ibanez had just to poke the ball before the contact is if any on ocampus and he did actually you know cancel that that pen the other one was the the, the incident on on fernando and i thought it's one of those calls that george i think it's it has a fine line between it. if the referee gives it you can understand why he gives it if he doesn't give it you can also understand why because i personally think That Fernando didn't have his hand away from his body It was very natural You're not expecting any player to be stiff in that situation It didn't also look like he's bending his body to block the path of the ball He's stretching his hand to block the path of the ball The ball came to hit his hand in a place where I consider a natural position I just think that Anthony Taylor made the right call The more reason why even VAR didn't ask him to go and have a look at it Yeah, maybe there were some other decisions like Lamela. Maybe he should have been given a second year look at it and sent off had he been sent off then Mourinho said it he wouldn't be taking the penalty in the shootout all of those little details perhaps count but I think generally the big calls he got them right but in terms of man managing the game Anthony Taylor wasn't great so yeah it is true Jose Mourinho is shifting the attention to the referee for the failings of his side and Anthony Taylor as well also had his downsides in that game but I think Roma would, would have to blame themselves because in the first 35 minutes or so they were brilliant Sevilla couldn't couldn't get past them it was all Roma But as soon as they got their goal, they stopped playing. And some quarters of Italian media says that, I mean, journalists who were close to the dugouts could hear Mourinho telling his team not to defend. But his team was defending deep. But that is his job if he didn't want them to defend, to push them high up the pitch. In the end, Sevilla got the equaliser, went on to win in a spot kick. I think it's a big blow for Jose. His ego has been bruised. He's never lost in an European final in the spring before. Now he has lost one to Sevilla, who are just masters. Of this Europa League, and so yeah, credit to Sevilla, but I just think Jose Mourinho took that way too far.
4: Let's talk about the final day of the season. What should we keep our eyes on at the top and at the bottom?
8: Well, John, going into the last week of Serie A many many things are settled, but there are five clubs who down who then need to to put in a performance to make sure that they are confirming few things, and those five clubs are. The team that are going to be playing Three teams that are going to be vying for Europa League Sports All the Conference League Sports So now is going to be um, uh, Juventus You're going to have Atalanta Then you're going to have AS Roma Because Atalanta have got 61 points in 5th place Roma have got um, 60 points in sixth place and Juve have got 59 points in 7th place and so this weekend games will be telling for these two sides these three sides as you say in terms of who finishes in the Europa League places and the Conference League places as well Juve will be playing against Udine away from home you wonder if Juventus have got the mental fortitude now to fight for what is left in the season I mean, we'll see. But Roma at home to Spezia. Spezia as well have a difficult situation, which I would get to very soon. Atalanta at home to Monza, who have had a brilliant 2023. So, these three teams are going to be competing for Conference League players. Europe, They are going to be in Europe anyway. It's a question of which part of Europe. Is it going to be the Europa League or the Conference League? And that will be it for those three teams that I, I mentioned earlier. Atalanta, Roma and Juventus. After the tough four is settled, Napoli, Lazio, Inter and Milan. But it's going to be interesting for... 17th place and 18th place, Spezia and Verona, respectively, because Verona and Spezia are tied on the same points on 31. However, they go into the weekend action, and depending upon results for these two sides, one is going to join Sampdoria and Cremonese into the Serie B. So you have Spezia who will be playing against Roma. And the Olympico Roma have had a painful defeat. How did they come back from that defeat? It will be crucial to see how they respond. Then Verona as well will be playing against uh, Milan. Milan have nothing to play for. Top 4 already done. They can now start thinking about next season. But Roma would need to win against Persia to make sure that they are keeping their place in the Europa League places next season. So, those are the games that will be crucial. Those are the teams that will be looking forward to good results this weekend.
4: Well, Sichu, just as we do it in every other league here in the locker room, at the end of the season, it's time to come in with your Serie awards. So tell us, who picks your MVP award, a disappointing team of the season, overachievers and best coach of the year?
8: Well, for me, my, my MVP is, is, is straightforward. I'm not even going to think too much about it. It's, it's, it's surely the, the Nigerian superstar, Victor Osimhen. And, and and when people think Usman, they think his goals. But when I think Usman, I think his personality and his attitude on the field of play. He's just two players in one. He works so, so hard. He actually defends from the front, hassles defenders, scores for fun. And he scores all types of goals. He's scoring a big game, decisive goals. It was his goal, actually, that confirmed it. For for Napoli to be champions after 33 years of trying, so yeah, I think I think Victor's men will be my MVP. Closely following him will be his teammates Kvarnistaliya, who had a, a splendid season, leading the as